Welcome to Automotive Insiders, the podcast series presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. You'll hear from automotive industry experts on the critical issues that are impacting the mobility landscape. Get actionable insights on how to thrive in Automotive 2.0. Now, here's your Automotive Insiders host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Hello, I'm Bonnie D. Graham for Automotive Insiders presented by OESA. Today, our theme is Restart, Recover, Resilience, and you all know what that means. I'm joined once again by the dynamic duo of William, he lets me call him Bill Newman, North America Executive Industry Advisor at SAP, and Mike Latkovic is the Vice President at Capgemini and currently the North America Market Leader for Automotive Suppliers. Let me welcome each of you, and in case somebody doesn't remember all the wonderful things you do, Bill Newman, why don't you give a brief bio for yourself, and then we'll hear from Mike. Welcome, Bill. Hey, thanks, Bonnie. Good to be back with you. And uh, hello, listeners. Thanks for uh, joining us for Automotive Insiders. Um, Bill Newman here, 30 plus years in automotive and discrete uh, manufacturing, planes, trains, automobiles. And uh, in my role at uh, SAP, I work with um, executives to understand what their strategies are moving forward in terms of uh, what they want to do, their new business models, future capabilities. So very excited to join you once again for this program. Thanks, Bonnie. Thank you, Bill. It's always a good conversation with you on board. You and I go way back years of Game Changers Radio at SAP, and I'm always happy to see you here on Automotive Insiders. And now let's get your partner here on this conversation. Mike Latkovic, say hello, and please introduce yourself again. Thanks, Bonnie. Good to be back with you. And Bill, of course, is always Similar to my, uh, my colleague, Bill, 20-plus uh, years of consulting and discrete manufacturing. Uh, no trains, but lots of planes and many, many automobiles started in the uh, auto industry and continue to represent our, uh, our client base in the supplier arena. Uh, we uh, enjoy a pretty uh, healthy set of relationships in the supplier uh, market and are always excited and humbled to be part of helping them uh, deal with the level of disruption that they have. Uh, they have, and of course, we now have the most recent pandemic that we'll be speaking about uh, today as well. Uh, but Capgemini as a whole is is just really pleased to be part of the uh, the automotive ecosystem and with a focus on suppliers as well. Thanks, Bonnie. Thank you, Mike. Pleasure to have you on as well. Bill Newman, let's start with you. Restart, recover, resilience. I know you and Mike sent me a couple topics you want to cover under this theme. So let's talk about the restarting, reopening, however else you want to read that, restart of the automotive industry. And you told me that subtopic is the world wobbles. Bill, let's hear from you first and then let's get Mike to chime in. What does this mean? Well, just a snapshot for our listeners. Here we sit, you know, June 1st of 2020. Most of the companies have started to go back to work, but it's going to be a bit of a fits and starts. So, you know, the whole the whole big part was getting everybody into a place where we felt comfortable being able to restart going and going back to work and starting up plants. Um, we've, we've, we've learned a couple of things over the last several weeks. A, not everyone is comfortable coming back to work or is in a position to come back to work. I think a, a, a recent OESA um, a broadcast indicated one OE brand uh, was at initially an 80% return to work participation rate, which 
is good under, under normal times, but we want it to be we want it to be better. That's not I necessarily believe sustainable. But I also believe that as we start to see things with some of the parts makers coming back online, China's had to close some plants and restart them. We're going to have uh, some some typical furlough and shutdowns on on a you know case by case basis. Um, a couple of OEs have had to do that already, and I think that uh, probably a um, uh, mid June, early July is probably what we're hoping to kind of get to that place of steady state, not where we're back to production levels in in a February times pre pandemic. Uh, but, but you know, something that feels and, and behaves a little bit um, uh, more reliably and more a little bit uh, more predictably. So that's, and in the meantime, you know, we're going to have what I call the wobble. You're going to have these fits and starts. Uh, I, I personally had my own experience with this. I have a German vehicle and it had an electrical problem. I blogged about it recently on LinkedIn and uh, my own personal experience was it took two weeks to get uh, the replacement parts to uh, fix the electrical switch. So um, that's going to kind of how it's going to be for a little bit of time now while we kind of get back up onto our feet and, and, and learn to walk again as an industry. Thank you, Bill. Mike Lakovic, love to get your thoughts. Agree or disagree with Bill? He said mid-June to July. And just for level setting for our audience, we are recording this conversation on Monday, June 1st, 2020. So we're just about at the start of summer here. Uh, Mike Lakovic, what do you think? Well, I love the term wobble. And Bill, I don't know if you're going to uh, do pull a trademark on that, but I love the term wobble because things are progressing. But clearly we see that they are you know, two steps forward, one step back, three steps forward, two steps back. I'll start with the consumer and work backwards. We know that the, we know there is demand there. The demand has, hasn't vaporized. Uh, there, are still, uh, there are still movements in the market for people to replace vehicles and things of that nature. Uh, leaderships, though, are going to continue to find their way through their sales cycle and how to fulfill that demand. I think that they've reacted remarkably well in terms of moving to virtual sales environment. We talked about that on one of our last episodes. Uh, so we will start to see that, that the demand stabilize a bit, both, both in terms of uh, the demand, you know, the, the actual market coming back to bear, but also in how that demand is captured, right? Because if you don't have accurate demand, if you can't forecast what you're doing, it's just going to have consequences throughout the entire supply chain. Uh, the OEs, are having, you know, I think anyone can easily jump on the news and see that uh, we are, for the most part, kind of back to work, but we're going to continue to see some plants turn on, some turn off, some pause for a week. Maybe they've got to shut down a few shifts while they figure out some new health organs, you know, some new health approaches. Um, so wobble's a good term. And then, of course, that all filters down to our the supply base. And in this case, um, we still have what I would deem very uh, – unstable demand. What is it we actually have to go produce? And there's a lot of great guesswork that's occurring right now. But until we really see all that demand starting from the consumer flowing backwards start to stabilize a bit, I think you've got a lot of really smart people trying to come up with some really good guesses. And I and I do mean that with uh, the highest form of compliment. Uh, but it does feel like a little bit of guesswork right now. Uh, June, July timeframe, I hope that by June and July, we've got a good grasp for what the rest of the year and maybe the next you know, three quarters look like. 
I, 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 I'm bullish that we have a good recovery. Uh, I think, Bill, you, you may be thinking something similar. Uh, anyone's guess is as good or better than mine for sure. But I would like to see us at least know what the next few quarters look like by the end of June or July. Thank you both. Bill, anything you want to say back to Mike before I go to some of the notes you sent me? I have something interesting I want to ask you. What do you think? No, I, 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 I'm, I'm with Mike. I, I think that a three-quarter outlook is, is we will get a chance to look at that. And whether we, we believe it or not, I think it, it really is going to be whether or not the, the, the things settle a little bit, as I like to, if the wobble settles. Um, I, I will say, based on some of the McKinsey recovery scenarios, we're definitely looking at more of a modified U-shape recovery than a hard V. Um, and that's simply because we weren't able to restart as quickly as as we as we had hoped for, and uh, so everybody's everybody's kind of keeping their fingers crossed and, and keeping um, good intentions. And it's uh, it's really going to be up to a lot of our uh, government officials and those in the health uh, services space um, to make sure that they give us the right advice to, we can take to hopefully avoid a second and third wave of the uh, of the virus. Thank you, Bill and Mike. A question for both of you. I was speaking a couple of weeks ago with Julie Freem, the president and CEO of OESA, and she mentioned, and that was, I think we were in, let's see, early May, spoke with her, and she said that the auto manufacturers in the U.S. had stopped production, were not producing for, at that point, it was about 45 days. Do we know the total number before the literally the wheels started rolling again, Bill or Mike? Just curious for, for our listeners to know. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, there was a lot of conversations about, you know, what it, what the recovery was going to look like. And, and I'll, um, I'll refer listeners back again to some OESA briefings where um, we've actually seen some scenario plans where there's a sharp difference between recovery scenarios with eight weeks of shutdown versus 10 versus 12. Mm. And, and the two-week increments are very, very important because – um, the first two weeks, and we kind of ate into them. I think we were landing somewhere between the eight to ten week mark. That that basically was allowing us to ramp up and ha- gave us some slack in the schedule towards the end of the year for things like the the usual plant shutdown and and being able to build in third um, you know third shifts, et cetera. The second the second piece was was really where that schedule gets very very tight, and beyond that, um, the time is non recoverable. You, you don't have enough capacity to make up for the two to three months that the industry was offline. So that that's really going to be a question as we, as over the next month, are we able to get back to that steady state? Are we going to be able to get some settling of this wobble that's going on? And if so, are we going to have enough, um, enough tools at our disposal to be able to uh, build parts to recover some of those two to three months? in terms of volume. That's Thank the make side. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mike, anything you want to add to that before I move on? Uh, well, I think we see some movers that are using the opportunity uh, to introduce some real structural change. I think we've seen some interesting moves from Nissan. Um, some of that just coincidentally uh, is occurring around the same time as this, but uh, one can imagine that it would influence the kind of decisions on a, at a wholesale level whether there's you know, major restructuring of plants, major restructuring of whole product lines. Uh, and I don't think that decisioning cycle is complete. I would uh, certainly guess 
that we'll see a number of other major structural uh, moves, whether it's in the OEs or the supply base, uh, potentially more you know, mergers and acquisitions as well. Um, so I think those three months of shutdown or two months of shutdown, when, when on the front end of this, we were looking at it as a pause in production. What we are now seeing, at least from my perspective, is really some major structural changes that will come about because of this, as opposed to just a production pause. Mike and Bill, forgive the the pun of the metaphor. I was going to say, while the wheels weren't turning and running off the production line, the wheels were spinning in the minds of the leadership. They were turning, saying, what do we need to do next? Where do we need to go? And Bill's Bill's shaking his head here. So let me move on. Bill, you told me, uh, you sent me some notes before, and you say, um, as automotive suppliers work through the COVID-19 recession, it's become clear to the executives you're speaking with that this is important. Everybody listen up. Key processes and operating models, once believed to be elective, are now essential to create that go-forward corporate resilience. Bill, talk to us a little bit about that resilience, and then we'll see what Mike at Capgemini has to say. Yeah. So, I mean, now that we're moving from recovery into resilience and eventually to return to growth, one of the things that we're finding with our supplier um, customers uh, we, we, we work with a number of them that support some very large OE programs. And, and typically, you know, the, the model for a, a company that's, um, that's perhaps regionally based and one that's, um, that's in growth mode is I'm going to set up a facility or a plant to take care of OEMA's business. And I'm going to feed that facility basically using simple communication, EDI, however the order management process is. And, it, and it's going to be very plant location based. The problem is... And, and most folks are very comfortable, at least in the early stages of their growth, um, operating that way before they have large global operations. The problem with that is, is that, as we've talked about on this program and others, if you have an event, let's say a, a part disruption or you have a health event with an individual that may be test positive for the coronavirus, um, you you have to somehow subset either the workforce or close the facility in entirely. And you need to have the ability to take the, the healthy workforce and, and reallocate them to either other, other programs or other tasks or work from home or, and, or you need the ability to flex that manufacturing so that those parts or the kitting or the subassembly can be done at another location and basically reroute the inbound logistics Many of the smaller suppliers, and I'm talking those even up to one or two billion dollars in global revenue, and and in some cases above, are not able to do that. They have dedicated facilities, dedicated lines, people trained for those facilities, and and the conversations that we've you know we've always had you know the hey when you're ready to grow, let's help you do this, and they're like great that's that's you know good good look to the future for us when we need to grow and we need to have multiple shifts and multiple lines running for these programs and common platform parts, et cetera. Now they're realizing that they can't wait until they're ready to make that tick up on their growth curve. You know, this is really going to be a game of survival and the companies that can continue to ship parts at quality, at volume, um, at, at and, and keep, and preserve their margins are the ones that are going to win. 
Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what I think Mike alluded to, and, and that's going to be some of the fiscal challenges that some of these uh, companies are going to have, particularly as we get out in another 90, 120 days. But just the sheer logistics of building parts and flexing your workforce is, is more uh, necessary now than elective in the past. Thank you, Bill. Very interesting. It sounds like leadership, uh, shop floor managers or or four people or whatever they call themselves these days have to be able to pivot, be agile, flexible, and the workforce has to be willing to make those moves and those shifts. You're not working here today. We're moving you to this line. We're moving you to home. If somebody does turn out to be ill or suspecting that they might have the virus, very interesting. That That makes it dynamic, doesn't it, Bill? That means minute by minute, production becomes a dynamic, almost a chess game. Where where will we move? Interesting. Mike Lakovic, love to get your thoughts on this one. 100% concur with Bill. Uh, it is a staple of the, the modern industry. We refer to it sometimes as agility, but it is the ability to optimize your mix and volume and price based on where that demand is and where it can shift and where you can produce it and get it to market quickly. The idea that you can just pick a low-cost country and just you know, make, 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 and, and send it on a ship is just not going to be the future world order, at least in the, for, in the you know, foreseeable future. The idea of being able to balance that across your global network is more critical now than it ever has been. Uh, as Bill alluded to, companies have been, we'll say, playing with this at times we can't anymore. This is now a fundamental aspect of what OEs will demand. It is a fundamental aspect of being able to respond to these types of disruptions. And it also touches on the notion of what is a supplier's competitive differentiation. It is not necessarily a plant-based or a manufacturing plant-based growth strategy. It now is about what is your innovation? How are you going to deal with disruptions? How can you service my needs and my customers when these things occur? How agile are you and at what price? We know basic supply chain theory says you can buy down risk, you can buy up risk, you can, but it does come at a price. And so when you infuse uh, the concept of agility and balancing your production along with doing it at an intelligent price point, so you don't just simply price yourselves out, we don't just dramatically increase the cost of all the vehicles, then it starts to get a bit tricky. And there are certainly some companies that have gotten ahead of this. Uh, and, and, and there are some great examples. We won't you know, use names here, but there are really some great examples of companies that have gone through the journey of having independent P&L-based plant, plants that kind of did their own thing to truly, I'm going to refer to it as an integrated manufacturing network. And that has allowed them and continues to allow them to dial up or dial down where they need to much faster and at a more intelligent price point than others. Thank you, Mike. Interesting. You brought me to the next topic I want to discuss with both of you. Supply chain disruption. It could be a weather-related event. It could be a tsunami in Asia, right? It could be a trade war. We certainly know there's a lot of that going around in the world or what we're dealing with right now and trying to see our way out of a global health crisis. So global supplier executives, and again, we're talking about that agility word that would be able to pivot, to reprioritize, to see the way forward and be able to pivot again if you need to. Global supplier executives need to have multi-regional aspects 
make, buy, and sell their OE and aftermarket parts. Bill, you want to tackle this one? Sounds very, very important. Well, it, it, it gets back to the wobble. I mean, you know, we, we, were, we were all trying to become supply chain experts, um, you know, with the trade wars and, and actually had some really good news in the first part of the year with some preliminary agreements being in place, particularly with USMCA and the, um, which, which still is going into effect, by the way, in, in another, I believe, 30 days, as well as the, the China-US trade discussions. And now, um, now folks are having to kind of revisit those plans, you know, we, uh, where you have to basically look at where am I getting my parts, where am I building, and where am I selling? And there's going to be some um, re-evaluation of these, of, of where particularly in market the parts are coming from. I mean, we even had, just just the other week we ended up getting a bit of a of a shockwave when when the uh, uh, ministry director of health in Mexico required uh, uh, a, a number of new documents that were very unclear in a very short period of time and and nearly suggested that um, the plants that were already open would have to potentially close and then reopen again. Fortunately, we were able to kind of, you know, work our way through that and get everybody again comfortable with uh, the restart dates and, you know, move into this recovery stage that we're at. But, you know, I've already spoken with, you know, one uh, OE team that operates, you know, both both in the United States and Mexico. That little incident um, was not uh, missed. It was it was noted and, um, you know, when you have to make a decision in terms of where to invest your capacity, you know, do you put it in China versus Vietnam? Do you put it in the United States or, or Canada or Mexico? And these are the type of things as we work through this crisis and we, we return or, or go to the next normal, those are the things that people are going to remember. And it's going to affect their decision making, whether you're a big OE brand assembling vehicles or you're a small tier X supplier, everybody's going to be, everybody's watching right now, how everybody, you know, how things operate, how we treat each other, um, how, how flexible we can be while we try to all return back to work. Um, you know, to, to quote a, uh, to quote one of our customer, it's times like these, you find out who your friends are. And uh, I think that that's really important for everybody, you know, listening to, to keep in mind, you know, it's not just kindness, but there's a certain level of understanding. And yes, while we're running a business, we, we have to play the short game, but keep the long game in mind because, you know, we'll all be working together in the future or, or we may choose not to. So mm, empathy yeah. and a shared vision. Thank you, Bill. Mike, love to get your thoughts on the concept of a multi-regional assets approach to global supply. What do you see? Well, I think it, it goes back to how do we structure our, our networks to meet our, our consumer needs at the proper price point. And, and, I'll, and I'll go back to a comment, Bonnie, that you introduced this notion of these, these disruptions. Uh, virus, tsunami, uh, I, I think what we'll continue to see is disrupt, or I'll call refer to it as organic disruption, as opposed to you know, geological uh, or, right, where the product itself is going to demand a faster response to market needs. Right now, we may have a three or a five or even a seven-year program on a particular, you know, say, say, say component construct. We see that 
in the relatively near term, right? Within a de decade or even sooner, condensing down into three-year product runs, maybe even maybe even less. And so it becomes even more critical to what Bill is referencing and how do you react to that? The, the idea that you have one massive, ubiquitous, uh, linear supply chain may no longer serve the future market. So the idea that you may have to break that down into some smaller components that maybe are a little bit more nimble, regional based, um, I think probably it makes sense for, for many areas. Now, certainly extremely high capital, ubiquitous parts, say brakes, brakes are brakes. There may be some true product innovations we see in that, but much of that vehicle mix, especially when we talk about electrification or other, other types of uh, you know, engines, you really are starting to see that the number of parts in a vehicle may go down, but the number of parts at the wholesale level, so the whole industry is going to go up because there's new technologies we're introducing, new whole new powertrains, whole new concepts for in-vehicle experience. Uh, and, and I think we'll start to see that formulate itself into potentially smaller, more nimble segments of bigger suppliers because we still see the consolidation happening right before our very eyes. Um, whether it's a regional base, as Bill suggested, or whether it's a you know product-based remains to be seen. And it's probably based on, it probably depends on which product we're talking about. Some products should be closer to the market. Maybe other products need to be in a lower cost country. Uh, but it certainly seems reasonable to suggest that these huge monolithic supply chains that are built on seven-year programs probably are going to start to go away. And I know that probably makes some people nervous and some people may vehemently argue against that point, but we're already seeing it. Bravo. Thank you for ending on a high note. Both of you, I want to do a shout out to Adam Slayman and April Buford and Julie Freem at OESA. Anybody want more information about this wonderful organization? OESA.org. That's OESA.org. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off and thank you to our friends at Voice America, the business channel for getting us the opportunity to record this wonderful conversation. Be well, be smart, stay safe, and find something fun to drive when you finally get out of that driveway in that garage. My car is saying, take me for a ride. I need exercise. Everybody have a great day. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Thank you, Bill Newman. Thank you, Mike Lakovic. Talk to you soon again. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA. Listen at your convenience to industry thought leaders as they discuss the ever-evolving industry and how companies can thrive in the new mobility landscape. All episodes are on demand on the Voice America Business Channel and at OESA.org. Automotive Insider is presented by the Original Equipment Suppliers Association.